I want to start today with a question. What is the first word that comes to mind when you hear the word prayer? I have tested this over uh, the years with numerous different churches, and here are just a few of the responses I often hear. Important, daily, quiet, (laughs) time-consuming, delightful, others-focused, intimidating, anxiety-producing, discouraging, and my favorite, guilty. I think many of us can relate with a lot of these responses. We know that prayer has value in the life of a church, but we don't often feel like we measure up to it or do it enough or know how to do it. But one word I don't hear often is surprisingly the word most associated with prayer today in our passage, and I believe it could make a huge difference in our prayer lives. Last week, we started a series on the book of Ephesians called Whole and Holy, and it's about how we grow up or mature in Christ, not just individually, but corporately as a body together, the church. Ephesians is unlike any other book in the New Testament because it holds up God's vision for the church, who we are to be as God's people. It's the only New Testament letter not written in response to a problem. That's because, in part, it was written to the church in the city of Ephesus, hence its name, but also because it's intended to be a generic letter passed around to all the churches in the area in order to understand their calling. Last week, in Ephesians 1, 1 to 14, we saw Paul open this letter with praise to God, a doxology, a sort of spoken word written in lofty rhetorical language to lead us into worship of who God is. This week, instead of praise, we have prayer. What we have here is actually an effusive prayer. And one has to wonder, is Paul's intent in praying this to model the value of praying for others, or is it simply to build credibility and trust between them? Because let's face it, when someone prays for you, not in a glib or cursory way, but in a genuine way, you feel cared for. You feel loved. It's often very touching and moving. And that's exactly what we have here. When we read this passage today, we get to overhear a sweet, tender moment by Pastor Paul praying for the people of God. We get to eavesdrop on how he prays for them, what he wants for them. And it's interesting because he isn't praying for particular circumstances, safety for their children, vocational outcomes, or managing health crises. He's far more general here. He mainly prays that they would come to know God better. Now, it's possible he isn't specific in praying for their circumstances because he doesn't know them. One confusing aspect of this prayer is that the prayer begins, ever since I heard about your faith. But we know from Acts chapter 19 and 20 that Paul founded the church in Ephesus and pastored there for three years. So this phrase makes it sound like he doesn't know them. Two possible explanations. First, our best estimate is that it's been at least seven years since Paul left the church. And as you know, when it's been a few years since you've stepped in a church, when you finally do, there are familiar faces, 
But there are also, or should be, unfamiliar faces. Churches will die if there are not new faces. So maybe he's referencing the people who have come since he left, and he doesn't know them very well. Second, as I mentioned before, if this is a letter that's intended to be passed around to other churches, then Paul maybe doesn't know these people, so he keeps it general. But what I want us to see is that even though Paul doesn't know these people all that well, or many of them, he still prays for them. He wants something for them that he cannot do himself, and that's why he prays. And perhaps that is the connection between prayer and power that we see in the text. That's the word I want us to think of today when we think of prayer, power. When I first started studying this passage, I kept wondering, why does this passage have two equally divided sections? The first four and a half verses, verses 15 to 19a, or the first part of 19, are the prayer. And then the second four and a half verses, 19b to 23, are all about Christ's power, and specifically his post-resurrection enthronement above all other contenders. Why is that Why is that important for Paul to take up so much linguistic space on power when he's talking about prayer? I think it's because there's a connection between prayer and power. There is no need to pray if we've got this. If we can solve it or meet the need, why pray? It's only when we feel like we're in over our heads, at the end of our rope, out of resources, that we need to invite someone else with more resources, more skills, more capacity, more ability, more bandwidth, more network to help us. Paul knows he can't make them know God better. He knows he can't make them have more hope or live into their calling more. So he talks to the one who can, who has the power or ability or influence to do that. The more I reflected on it, the more I played with those two words in my mind, prayer and power. Power in prayer. Prayer to give us more power. Powerful prayer. Let's listen to the prayer now from Ephesians 1, verses 15 to 23. Then we'll look at three points I want us to see about prayer for us as a church. Here's Pastor Paul praying for the saints in Ephesus. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance for his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power, here comes the whole second part, is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenlies, far above all rule and authority, power, dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who feels everything in every way. (laughs) 
Let's start with the power aspect, because Paul gets pretty excited about that. And what I want us to see is that prayer is a superpower. Maybe it's because of the resurgence of superheroes in the entertainment industry. Shout out to the old-style Marvel and Avengers. But this phrase, superpower, is used a lot right now. I saw this t-shirt that I wished I had when my kids were young at home. I'm a mom. What's your superpower? (laughs) Or I was listening to this leadership podcast recently that said, self-awareness is your superpower. So we get the phrase. It means this is important. This is going to be your lifeline. This is going to be what helps you succeed. Well, I think Paul is saying here in Ephesians 1, prayer is your superpower. We could say your supernatural power or access to supernatural power. It's going to help you do what you are not currently capable of. This is why in verse 19, Paul piles on a bunch of terms to try to describe this extraordinary divine force by which Christ was raised from the dead, incomparably great power for us who believe, as displayed in the exercise of the might of his strength or through his mighty strength. He's basically saying any way you can think about or express power is what we have access to as believers. And that power is the same power that accomplished the most tremendous event in history, exceeding even that of creation. Think about this. We work really hard in our society to postpone death. But we're not able to escape it entirely. But Jesus has beaten death. And unlike Lazarus or others who were raised to life by Jesus, only to die again sometime later, Jesus has been raised to life, never to die again. Which is why in verses 20 to 23, Paul describes that power as raised, seated, placed over, and appointed. These are power-packed phrases, but I'll hit just the highlights. Raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand. Throughout the Bible, the right hand is the place of privilege and authority. It's the favored seat next to the king. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and I just want to say, it's not, really, um, it's not really important to split hairs over the slight distinctions of those terms. This is just Paul's way of saying every conceivable category and every name that is invoked or every title that could be given. Paul's like, Christ is over this and over this. And if there's anything else too that exists, over that too. So not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. So we're not just talking all categories we're of beings. We're also talking for all time. Verse 22, and God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything. I think the point's pretty clear. Whatever powers that exist, human or spiritual, they are all subject to Christ. Thanks be to God. Paul is going to come back to this point at the end of the book when he's talking about spiritual powers again and prayer again and how those two are connected. But for now, what Paul is saying is that Christ is victorious over all things, that his resurrection and ascension is evidence of his power. And friends, that same power is available to us. We can actually experience visible, effective power. Power such that you can see its effects, and it makes a difference a kind of power that scholar Lynn Kohick summarizes defies quantification. 
Here's an example of what I mean. I'm going to disguise the particulars of this situation for the sake of anonymity, although this person, we'll call him Bill, did grant me permission to share his story. Some time ago, Bill was having a lot of trouble with someone in his workplace. And not only was this individual um, that they had to work with personally adversarial, but because this person had a lot of authority in the organization, their behavior regularly impacted the overall organization. Bill had an all-day meeting coming up with this person and was dreading it, as was the rest of the team. Maybe you can relate. He had a pit in his stomach every time he thought about it. Like a good leader, he wrestled with what kind of strategies and tools he could use to encourage more effective communication in this high-stakes situation. And then the meeting, the Sunday before the meeting, Bill was in church listening to my sermon from Jesus' not-so-popular words, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And I challenged us to take Jesus at his word and try his enemy prayer to see if praying for the person we were at odds with might change or affect the dynamics of the relationship. And Bill told me he figured, why not? I've tried everything else. I got nothing else to lose. I'll pray for so-and-so every day this week leading up to the meeting, and we'll just see if anything changes. The following week, Bill came back dumbfounded, actually speechless. Then he proceeded to tell me how at his meeting, somehow mid-morning, things seemed to shift. The bully did a 180-degree change. He was no longer obstinate. He was respectful, agreeable even. It was a visible difference, not just for Bill, for the entire group. The entire team was shocked and confused, but nevertheless relieved. So much so that the next morning at breakfast, Bill is talking with a coworker and they're remarking about how different this bully seemed to be. And the coworker literally gasped, I do not know what to attribute that to. And Bill paused and then quietly admitted, well, at church, they were kind of doing this thing like enemy prayer. And then he tried to explain it, to which the coworker responded, I didn't think you were religious, in which uh, the person was then allowed to share about their recent re-engagement with a childhood faith and the impact that was having positively in his life defies quantification. I don't know what to attribute that to. And did you notice the unquantifiable change was not only in the bully's behavior that had a toxic impact in the group, but also on the unquantifiable result in Bill's opportunity to share his faith with a coworker who deeply respects him and looks up to him. Maybe those Christians aren't so crazy after all. Do you see the power at play here? Do you see the ripple effect prayer can have? When I thought about this story and this passage, I couldn't help but wonder what might have been the outcome if Bill had decided not to pray? What if he had thought, what difference will it make anyways? Now, I am not saying that if we pray, we can expect every request to be granted as long as we say the magic words. We do not have a genie Jesus where we ask and he grants our wishes just like that. 
What I love about this story is that since then, Bill has shared with me how that remains a pivotal story for him and his understanding of prayer. He admits, I know that doesn't mean I should expect every prayer to be answered in the same way, but he adds, I also know I shouldn't not expect it either. Richard Foster, a wonderful guide in the spiritual practices, writes, when we begin praying for others, we soon discover it's easy to become discouraged by the results, which seem frustratingly slow and uneven. This is because we are entering the strange mix of divine influence and human autonomy. God never compels, and so the divine influence always allows a way of escape. No one is ever forced into a robot style of obedience. Meaning, we pray for people, but just because we pray does not mean God will use that to override someone's free will. But it does have influence. It does exert energy and power towards that inclination in some mysterious way. Where might we need the power of the risen and ascended Lord in our lives? When you think about those you know and love, people in this church, what area or issue or habit or thought pattern or behavior or relationship feels so out of your capacity? You feel powerless. Why not ask God in prayer to exert his power? Prayer is a superpower. But more than that, prayer is love. One of the best local restaurants in Minneapolis, some of you are fans of this restaurant, I know, was started by a woman who deeply loved to bring people together around food. As you might imagine any talented restaurant owner feels, this woman expressed love to her family and friends by cooking for them. She loved to see them ooh and ah over the dishes. She loved providing delicious tasting sustenance in the midst of busy days. And she especially loved the way shared meals brought people together in sharing their stories and their lives, building relational ties. When I officiated at the funeral of one of her most trusted employees, she offered to contribute uh, the dessert, uh, the favorite dessert of the deceased. And when I asked, are you sure our church is happy to provide that? There are a lot of people coming here. That's a very generous offer. And she looked at me squarely and decidedly and said, food is love. <laughs> As in, this is my way of showing my love for this employee. And she did, and it was very meaningful to the family. I have never forgotten the impact of a restaurant owner saying that phrase, food is love. And my daughter and I have adopted it as we enjoy baking for people on special occasions. Some people express love through food and the gift of nourishing others in a tangible way. Similarly, prayer is love. When we pray for people, we are expressing care and love for them. Prayer is care. No one appreciates an argumentative tone, but no one can argue with a prayerful tone. 
Prayer changes your relationship with God and with the person you're praying for. That's why Jesus issues his enemy prayer challenge, because we are inviting the Holy Spirit, the same spirit of Jesus, of love and peace and grace to reveal himself to that person. We are asking him to act on their behalf. It cannot not change us and how we feel about the person. I double dog dare you to try. In this way, prayer functions as the connective tissue between us. Paul loves the metaphor of the body for the church, as do I. Prayer is to a corporate body of Christ what blood flow is to a human body. It promotes health and healing. It nourishes. It enlivens. Richard Foster, again, in prayer, writes, If we truly love people, we will desire more for them than it is within our power to give them. And this will lead us to prayer. Intercession or praying for others is a way of loving others. He continues, In the ongoing work of the kingdom of God, which is what we're all about. Remember our first series on earth as it is in heaven. Nothing is more important than prayer. People today desperately need help that we can't give them. Marriages are being shattered. Children are being destroyed. Individuals are living lives of quiet desperation without purpose or future. And we can make a difference if we will learn to pray on their behalf. I have a neighbor who I've been getting to know recently, and she is a delight. She is recently a widow, and she makes it a habit of walking numerous times throughout the day. When I asked her about this recently, she told me that she always prays when she walks. She prays for each house and the people in it when she walks by. And she said, people are struggling. They need help. She said, I pray for marriages. I pray for children. I pray for people to find peace and hope and grace. This prayer by Pastor Paul invites us to pray people would know God more with the result that they would have more hope in their lives, more awareness of the rich resources they have in Christ and power to accomplish what he calls us to do. Do you know how rare a commodity hope is these days? What if we were to ask God to fill each person we saw with hope? And here's the thing. (laughs) Because my neighbor is praying for these people, then, of course, when you see her on the street, she just oozes, lavishes joy, hope, peace, encouragement on you because she's been praying for you. Funny how that works. Prayer is love. So if we believe prayer is a superpower and we believe prayer is love, how then can we access this power and begin to grow in love for one another through prayer? I want to close today with some pro tips for prayer. And these are just ideas I'm tossing out. Because Ephesians focuses on the church, I'm going to give ideas that are largely how we can grow in love for this body Though, of course, these ideas could be applied in praying for the global church. For starters, pray anywhere, anywhere. <laughs> Paul says in verse, verses 15 and 16, Ever since I heard about your faith, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in, your, in my prayers. I keep asking. So this is not a one-and-done deal. 
Paul seems to be in regular, consistent, persistent prayer for these churches. He doesn't even know that well. Now, how does he pray so consistently? We see this anywhere, anytime mentality in some of Paul's other writings. In fact, we're going to see this at the end of the letter when he concludes by writing or urging, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. So how can we not stop remembering in prayer or keep asking? Isn't that a bit unrealistic, Paul? Don't you know my schedule? I suppose that all depends on your view of prayer. If prayer is sitting in a chair first thing in the morning with a Bible spread across your lap in a quiet room, I'm not sure many of you with young children are going to be able to do that very often. (laughs) But thankfully, prayer is so much broader than that. Prayer is getting everything in our lives open to God. Prayer is talking with Him about what we're doing together, as Dallas Willard used to say. So we can pray when we're meditating on scripture. We can also pray when we're on a run or washing the dishes or taking out the garbage or we're losing it and asking God for help or we're weeding the garden or we're asking God to help someone who is at the end of their rope. When we're drafting that email, when we're talking with that cynical, difficult coworker or neighbor, Eugene Peterson is helpful here. It's not that everything we do is prayer but that everything we do and say and think can be prayer. And that means there are a lot of ways of getting at what Paul is encouraging us to do here. If we want to be a community that prays, we need to allow for the fact that that's going to look different for different people, different personalities, different places in life. It doesn't matter exactly how you do it, just that you do it. So I'm going to toss a bunch of options out here for you and allow the Holy Spirit to help you hear the one that has your name on it. And then I encourage you to try it just for this week or two weeks. Then you can reevaluate. Just pick something, please, that is doable with your life now. Because if I'm not mistaken, that's the life you're living, right? Pray while getting ready for the day. Pray while commuting. Pray while doing a chore. Like my neighbor, pray while you're walking. Pray Sunday evenings here at City Church. Pray Sundays after the worship service with others up here at Prayer Point, or maybe even more courageously, ask for prayer at Prayer Point. Come 10 minutes early. This is not those of you with young children, probably. (laughs) But come 10 minutes early to Sunday morning worship and pray for those who are going to be here, that they would know God's love. Join our prayer team and pray on your own at home. How about this one? Pray for the people around you when you don't particularly care for the worship song we're singing. Or when the preacher is boring. Again. Or choose a day of the week that you want to pray for specific ministry. Mondays, because that's when the board meets. Tuesdays, because that's when we as staff meet. Wednesdays for City Kids, Velocity, Thursdays for small groups, uh, Fridays uh, for the preacher whose sermon hasn't yet come together and she's really irritable. Uh, Pray for all these people. And one of my favorites, uh, pray during communion for people as they shuffle forward to receive the body and blood of Christ. Pray that they would know him more. What a joy to do that. Now, many of you do many of these things already. I know that, and I have been buoyed 
and encouraged by that reality these first few weeks in my role. I had someone tell me this week that um, their growth group is going to take on praying for the church's finances this year. And I thought, bless you, we need it. Because no matter how good your interim pastor is, anytime a church is in transition, it's going to inevitably impact your revenue and city church is no different. And I thought, bless you, growth group. Take that on. I don't care how you choose to do it, but may we all become a community of prayer. Let's let prayer be our superpower. Let's show our love by prayer and grow in love by prayer. I hope that as a community, as we continue to grow up in Christ, we will regularly see people praying for one another here, after the service, in the pews, in the lobby, as you stay and talk with someone in the community, a parent picking up their child, uh, frazzled. And I admit that could be weird in other public places, but that should not be weird here in the church. May it be so. Because if prayer and power go together, who knows what kind of power we may be missing by not praying more often? Who knows what blood flow might not be getting to the vital organs in our body without it? And in this new season at City Church, why not give it a try? What have we got to lose? And just maybe we'll be pleasantly surprised. And if we are, if we see a lot of answers to prayer, it's possible that could be coincidence. But it's funny, I find when I pray more, I experience more coincidences. May it be so among us. Let's pray. Oh Christ, our hope in life and death, we do give you thanks and praise for the reminder of how you are the victorious one. You have conquered and you have power. And we don't understand how that works, and we don't understand why it doesn't always work in the way we want, but we believe uh, that you have more for us. You have more power available to us. So would you help us press into that this week in ways that draw us closer to you, that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened, and we would see clearly what it is you're calling us to, and the hope we have and that that would ooze over onto others. May it be so in Jesus' name and always for his sake. Amen.